supportive, extremely fortunate to have as our speaker today, Robert Pickard, who's Director of Studies at the Royals Institute and who is a world expert, possibly the world expert, on the business of journalism. He's created um, a department on that subject in uh, the in University in Sweden. Uh, he's been here for the last year, year and a half, as Director of Studies, and as you see, he's going to talk about business models and their use in media companies. Um, those of you who, like me, are newspaper people, will be worried sick about your future and the future of newspapers. This may be part of what Robert is about to say, or may not. Should be. <laughs> Please, uh, Robert, many thanks for yeah, It's my, my great pleasure to be able to chat with you uh, this afternoon. Um, you have to excuse me if my voice weakens on me a little bit. I'm recovering from a, a cold that's been one of the best uh, few days. Um, <laughs> We all know there's a real deal of concern that has been growing for a number of years about the business model, particularly for news. Um, all media of all kinds are, are suffering problems in their business models right now, but news organizations are, are, are particularly uh, um, worried. Uh, they are being severely affected by changes in, in their operations and their funding structures. And so there's, there's been a, an awful lot of discussion of, of what needs to happen or what should happen or what potentially could happen. Every new application is seen as to be the savior. Every new technology has come along is, to be, is seen as the savior. Um, and uh, there's this just grasping at straws, trying to, to, to find what is going to change the, uh, the underlying uh, business of, of, of these organizations. And the, what you really see when you cut through all of the language and all, all, of, the, all of the pros, and, and, and you know, there is a good deal of, of philosophical concern because of the role of media and democracy, and particularly of news and information and democracy. Um, but underlying all this, somebody's got to find out a way to pay for this and to make it work. And so when you go to publishers associations and to all kinds of industry associations, they basically all are saying, we want new sources of revenue so we can just fund our existing operations. You've got journalists that are wanting to start up new news organizations, usually digital organizations. They're looking for money along the way. And this, this idea that we have to find new money has really become the underlying concern of all of the industry. And I, my argument is that that's the wrong way to take care of the challenges in the news industry today. Because focusing on what you need as an organization, as a company, or an industry, is not the way you go about solving your underlying problems if, in fact, your customers are walking away from you, which is the underlying problem of all news organizations and, in fact, all media organizations. Because there's been a steady decline in usage and consumption um, everywhere in the Western world as more and more technologies and more and more choices have been introduced. In, the, in other parts of the world, particularly Asia and elsewhere, they're suffering growth problems, which is a delightful set of problems to have, but create an awful lot of other problems of managing quality, managing growth, and, and uh, being able to provide the coverage that you need to deal with. Um, and what I basically have been arguing for several years is that the real underlying challenges here are not the revenue basis, but some real changes in society and technologies and the choices that are going on. 
If you take the last 50 years in Western countries, for instance, um, the average age of the population has gone up about 15 years. Um, and and uh, life expectancies keep being raised along the way, gone up about 20 years. The amount of time that people spend in their automobiles commuting to and from work has more than doubled in the last 25 years. And in some major cities in Europe and North America, the commute times are now averaging about two hours a day. Um, we've moved from, from a period of time 50 years ago when only about a third of women worked to a point where 75% of women are working in Europe today outside of home. And that is, you know, all of these kind of social or dramatic social changes in the lifestyles of people and change the way that they use information and the kind of information that they need along the way. Um, the choices of media have expanded. We, uh, with television, with cable and satellite television, with all of the online news operations, um, the number of magazines quadrupled in the last 25 years. We have four times as many television channels over the air as we had 25 years ago. Plus, if you're in certain localities, hundreds of satellite and cable channels available to you. So all of these are, are changing the way people use media. And then on top of this, we have news provision that is continuing to be done as it has for most of the 20th century. And that news provision today has changed very little in the styles and types of news, in the way it's presented, in what the choices of news are, in what the choices of sections of newspapers are, in the kind of sexualization of broadcasting as well. And so the end result is, is that we now have a situation where the, the, the nice, warm, fuzzy situation that news organizations had 25 and 50 years ago is gone because this monopoly is over. And monopolies are wonderful for companies because they make you stable, they make you rich, they make you have lots of resources. But when you start losing those monopolies, you start having a lot of problems. And if we look today just at the kinds of things that are being provided as alternative to where news and information is provided, we're finding news and information all around us all the time. And it's harder and harder to avoid it. So people are getting a lot of news and information by, by osmosis, and getting a lot of news and information shoveled to them through social networks and other such things by friends and people who know, here's a story that will be of interest to you. And all of these are chipping away, piece by piece by piece, at the demand for traditional sources of news. Um, and that creates huge pressures on those news organizations. And so you can't expect newspapers and television news operations to maintain their um, traditional positions in the news environment in this ecology and to maintain their funding in that ecology when more and more things are taking place around them. And so one has to look just be beyond more than just the funding to this all changes in the media ecology and how that is changing the way uh, people want to get their news and information, when they want to get it, and in what form they want to get it. And all of those become critical factors of business models, not just the funding part. So what it means is that news organizations really have to start thinking 
not about what their needs are, but about the needs of the public. What is the role that news is playing in people's lives? Why is it that so many people are willing to go without news on a daily basis? And in fact, many aren't. We're down to, in, in most countries, we're down to less than 40% of the households getting the newspaper. Some places it's down to about 30%. We're down to in many countries people where only people are watching news. Uh, only about 30, 40 million in the United States are watching news daily on television. Um, you know, all of these things are changing because the role news plays in their lives is different. So that's got to affect the kind of products that are there, the kind of content that those products <coughs> contain. Um, if you're going to be in all this competitive situation, you start to, have to, to ask questions about what are we going to do that's better or different than what everybody else does? What's going to make us stand out in this environment where we now have hundreds of choices of people where people can go for news and information? Uh, so you've got to really be looking at the whole process of how news is delivered and created and why readers should be willing to pay for your product or in other ways support it in some way. And that is, is the central part of where business models today um, have to move. Because you can't keep doing things in the traditional ways, providing the news in the way that, that you did before and expect that it's going to be used in the same way in the future. Yet that's what most news organizations are trying to hang on to. Yes, they'll move on to the web and they'll have a, an internet news site, but all they're doing is shoveling the existing news there and even keeping it in the same kind of sections. Okay? No, no different, but people are using the web in a very different way. Um, they're shoveling onto mobile, they're shoveling onto tabloids, they're sh tablets, they're shoveling into every new place they can go. Um, but they're not changing the product when they go to the new platform. And it is a different product or service being offered, and one needs to think about those kind of things, because that's part of a business model. <coughs> now, if we look historically at the commercial news model, for um, about 120 years in some countries, for about 100 years in other countries, we've had this mass media model. And the mass media model basically said we keep prices low and we give it to them free. Um, we get as large an audience we can, and then we make that audience available to advertisers and shift the financial needs to the advertisers. And that the advertisers pay the bulk of the pay. And depending on where you are, uh, the country that you're talking about, it's, the advertisers generally pay a majority of the, of, of the amount, um, and the average is in the range of about 65%. In some places, it's gone up as high as 85 but, uh, but you know, 58 has been the range, but the average about 65 So we have had this dependence on advertisers as part of this model. And there are consequences to that. And, and the major consequence is most of the organizational costs and efforts became devoted to advertising. If you look at newspapers today, it is rare to find a newspaper where more than 15% of its total costs go to the editorial department. Okay? It's, all this is going to other departments. And the majority of the number of pages of print are typically advertising. The advertising goes into the design first, and then the news gets to find a place around it. The number of pages you have is dictated by the amount of advertising you have. So your news hole is dictated by your advertising. So, and when you look at the cost effort, um, it used to be that advertising at one time actually subsidized editorial content. Today, 
there's actually some reason to believe in some countries the editorial content the subscriptions are actually subsidizing some of the advertising and that's been, been since the depression of 2003 and some changes that have occurred in that period now the other consequences is that when we build, built this mass media model, mainly in the 20th century, and early and mid part of the 20th century, uh, we had to add sections. But the sections were almost added to, almost always added to serve the interests of the advertisers. We added a food section, not because women needed to know how to cook food, or because they couldn't get it someplace else or that anybody else that wanted to cook needed it, but because the advertisers of food wanted a food section. Uh, because the, and almost always, the recipes included things that were available from the advertisers. When we added automobile departments to, to things, technology departments, all of these were added to serve the interests of advertisers. And much of what is in there is structured in a way to serve those interests. And so it was, again, this mass media model put more interest on them than necessarily on the readers. And most contact that took place in, in, in mass media uh, commercial uh, operations were understanding the needs of advertisers. They spent much more time talking to advertisers than talking to readers. In fact, uh, news people don't really like readers very much. It's always been like we always make it difficult for us to get, you know, they're the great unwashed, they're to be educated, they're to be channeled, they're to be, they're to be influenced to do the proper thing and behave as good citizens. Uh, you know, we don't want to get too close to them because, you know, they rabble after them, so we've got to be careful. Um, and so we've always had this weird relationship with, with, with uh, even when we were trying to serve them. <coughs> Now, public service media were put into place with broadcasting initially, um, and basically they were done in, a, in, in creating another kind of social media model in which you basically had a monopoly and you served a, a, a universal audience. The idea was everybody could get the audience along the way. Um, you would serve socially defined needs. Some, some body in society would get together and decide what those needs were there. They're very normatively described, um, not very uh, specific, um, just in nice platitudes usually. Um, you'd mandate payments from the viewers or from the governments. Um, and, you know, these are taxes, uh, what you can call them whatever you want, license fees, whatever. 2005, 14% of the women in Britain who went to jail went to jail for not paying their television license fee. It, you know, it's just, this, you know, this. This is, this is more than just a friendly little tax or socially defined activity. Um, this is a mandated payment um, um, that's coerced you and it's passed along the way. Uh, the consequences of this is that the activities of public service media were often constrained by official remits because they were told what to do in their remits. We're going to get you your money so you don't have to worry about it, but you have to do these things. Okay? Um, and then there's the necessity of continuing to meet those social needs, even if the social needs are changing. 
we keep we still have to keep meeting the need because they're in the remit and the remit might get changed only every 25 or 50 years in some cases um, so it's you know the real problem you got to keep doing things and being measured in your performance of doing things even when those things might no longer be necessary in the same way that they were at one time most public service organizations have always had more contact with the governing authorities than they have with the public supposed to be serving the public, but they have to worry about the governing authorities. So, you know, there's very little contact with, with the public and public needs along the way. And the other consequence of these arrangements is we've got this nice, long, fuzzy arrangement with the authorities. You get, you get to market complacency. You don't change too much of doing it well. Of course, we keep doing the things we've done before because we, we've got it up. And so you, you don't have to, to be very aggressive along the way. And you end up with a very tradition-bound and flexible organization that says, my God, you've got to keep employing us. We've got to have 25,000 employees in our organization. Um, you know, these, these kind of things are, you know, we can't change to any other way. We can't outsource some of the production. We can't, well, we can't do I can, I can remember in Finland, uh, in, in fact, uh, 20 years ago, I was working with ULA, and uh, we were trying to find some cost savings for ULA, and it was, which is the Finnish public broadcaster. And one of the questions that we thought maybe they could change is that they probably didn't need their own fire department. <laughs> they were in, located in the center of Helsinki. Fire departments all around them, but they had their own fire department, own fire trucks, everything else sitting on the, sitting on the facility. Now they might have needed some fire safety officers, you know, to, to in studios and stuff on a regular basis. But the idea of having your own fire department and making making half million euro investments in trucks and stuff, you start wondering about the you know, but organizations build themselves and grow and answer their needs along the way. And so, and so public service media have done that a lot. And if you look at the, you know, the facilities, they've got great facilities, they've got all of these things, but then they're running out of money now to do the services they need because they've expanded the number of channels, usually without getting equal numbers of, of, of new money to do so. They've moved into all kinds of on-demand services and other such things they want. There's never a technology they, that comes along that they don't like. They don't like to make choices. So they do a little of everything. And they've been spreading themselves thinner and thinner and thinner and thinner and thinner and getting worse and worse quality as a result of it. And so this, you know, this model's got some problems in it. If we look at some of the changes that have occurred, you look at newspapers in the 1880s in the last uh, in the world. Um, basically, local, national, and international news and business was about 70% of the content. These were heavily content-driven papers. They were relatively small papers, uh, four to eight, 12 pages. Um, if you go back into the 1880s and look at papers. Um, but a lot of content in there. You had some general content that was in there. It was about 10% that was in there. Um, and, and a bit of advertising as well. Um, and it was, it was a nice, comfortable uh, arrangement along. Today, when you actually look at the hard news, it's about 15% of the content. Um, the general content, the, the entertainments, the lifetime of the features and others, are about 25% of the content. And about 60% of the content is advertising. That's a dramatic change in how we've structured the business model of the newspaper. Um, there's a great book, actually, in the Reuters <coughs> if, you're, if you're interested in how newspapers have changed, and it's called The Form of News, which really tracked how the form of news, mainly in, in, in the U.S., I think it was, um, changed in the 20th century. It's really an excellent, uh, excellent volume if you're interested in, in the form of news. So 
you know, essentially the practices of journalism as we know them today um, were really created to meet the 20th century needs, and we can't expect that that's going to be successful today because it's not the 20th century. It's not in the context of the 20th century. It's not in the context of people's lives. It's not in the context of the economy of the 21st century. It's not in the context of the technology of the 20th century. Therefore, it can't meet the needs of the 20th century if it keeps operating as it has for 100 years. So some things have to be um, revisited. And we really need to start, stop talking about the money stream and really look at the entire foundations of the business, how you create value, how the customers are served, how do you get the best services to them on different platforms, and how do you finance the enterprise? We'll come out of that as you, as you pull that together. Um, and what business do models do then is really clarify the business that the business is in. Most companies don't have a business model except when they're beginning. And when they start the business, they write up a nice business plan. It's got the business model all throughout there, explaining what the customers are going to be, what their needs are, how they're going to be served by the product or service, how it's different from that of competitors, um, what's the company going to do to develop and grow, what does it have that's unique that's going to make it uh, work. But um, newspapers haven't done this for a long time, primarily because they've been around for a long time, and things have tended to work. So we, you know, it's time to revisit them because uh, business models change. Uh, they re do require attention and review on a regular basis. Uh, this often happens when the CEO gets fired in many companies, but rarely in the, in the newspaper business. Uh, but we tend to change them when they're not working, uh, when the product or service has changed, or when disruptive competitors have come along. And of course, news organizations are suffering today because all of those reasons for change have occurred. And it's very, very, there's a lot of turmoil, there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of turbulence in the industry, as we would say in business terms, and, uh, and the industry is, is having to rethink its entire operations along the way. Um, I'm just going to skip this one. So, what business is a company in? It's always a good place to, to ask uh, uh, along the way. Um, railway companies thought they were in the railway business. Railway's an interesting business, you know, lay some tracks, run a train down it. People, people love railways, and people that love railways really love railways. This country has love affair with railways like you will find no place else, partly because they created the railway. And if you, there are about 200 railway societies around, around the country that have bought and restored old rail cars and such things and, and run them in, in various runs. But this country loves it. Railway companies always thought they were in the railway business. So trucking came along, and the airlines came along, and they didn't feel worried about that in the least because, well, that's trucking. That's airlines. We're in the railway business. Um, and the problem was they weren't in the railway business. They were in the freight and passenger transportation businesses. And all of a sudden, these other competitors come in and provide different ways to pull freight business off of the, them and passenger business off of them. And they gained, went into deep declines over the years. And now in most countries today, we only have railways operating that are subsidized by government. 
simply because they can't be, operate elsewhere, because they didn't find a business model that could compete with the others. Now, there's some good reasons to have subsidized by government, which is to get people out of automobiles. They're environmentally much friendlier. Um, they help reduce congestion of all kinds. But, but the re reasons for them being there uh, originally were as commercial businesses and not as something that was socially and environmentally friendly. Now, newspapers have always thought they were in the paper business, and broadcasters have always thought they were in the broadcasting business, and magazine publishers have always thought they were in the magazine business. Um, the fact is, they're not. What business are they in? They're in the information business. And there's many different ways to distribute information and news. And if you say, this is the business we worry about, you narrow your focus so closely that you can't see what's happening all around you and what's stripping your business out from under you. And that's been a huge problem along the way. And part of the reasons this occurs is because of organizational pers persistencies. And they really direct our choices, and they're often very, very uh, rational. Um, the, way it, the way an organization develops and the kind of values it has underneath it really helps make, it, make the decisions that it makes. And news organizations are particularly valuating. Um, there are a lot of norms of the business, and there are a lot of things you're trying to achieve in, in terms of, of social values, in terms of achieving services to people, and in terms of helping democracy operate. So there's a lot of, of, of values underlying the organizations. And then you get an awful lot of uh, um, uh, a common outlook going on. You get a lot of norms and routines that are in there. Those help, help make the organization work. Um, but after a while, it makes it very difficult to change anything. And you get this inertia along the way because you keep doing things the way you did before because it worked. Why change things when things are working? It doesn't make sense to do it when it's working. Um, so when you're being successful in the past doing something, you don't want to change it. You want to keep going along the way. Um, but over time, that narrows your responses that you can make along the way. And it makes it very difficult for you to take alternative actions and to make some other choices. And I use the newspaper industry of this. I mean, the primary business of the newspapers is creating and printing a newspaper. But if we actually look in the, in the, in the 19th, 18th and 19th century, um, at when many newspapers started, they did a lot of other things rather than just doing the newspaper because they had to have revenue streams. So they print advertising posters and brochures and magazines and all kinds of other printing, anything that could go on the press. They had these presses that could take, do almost everything. Um, journalists at the period had very different jobs. They'd go out and do the news. They'd come in. They'd help set up the presses. They'd run the presses. Then they'd go out and sell the newspapers. It was a, uh, not a nearly specialized specialized. Many times the uh, newspapers were subsidized by commercial interests of the owners as well. A lot of newspapers were subsidized by bookshops. A lot of them did travel agencies, which was kind of interesting. Um, there was manufacturing firms and others who would, would, would subsidize as well. <laughs> and in some parts of the world today, we see these cross-subsidies from other industries still existing. But in the 20th century, um, things started doing fairly well for newspapers in the early 20th century. And 
So many of the papers started saying, uh, you know, we, we don't want to be doing all these outside activities. They're taking a lot of time and effort. We're getting a lot more income now. Advertising started to rise, particularly in the 1920s and 30s. Um, and so they started dropping a lot of these activities because they had this nice revenue stream coming in. They tended to print other papers because they had extra capacity, and they began buying presses that you could only print newspapers on. And so it was very logical. It was, it was highly efficient. It worked well and, and moved on. By the last half of the 20th century, we basically most papers got rid of these extra activities around just decided to do the newspaper because, thank God, there's plenty of money. Between, two, between 1950 and 2000, in real terms, the amount of money going into the newspaper industries in Western Europe and North America tripled in real terms. 300% more money um, um, in real terms. I mean, advertising is just falling in. You, I mean, you had to be an idiot to lose money in the industry at that time. It was just absolutely dramatic. I also used to say in the 1970s, if you owned a newspaper company as a family, you put the dumbest cousin in the family running the newspaper. Okay? They couldn't could make a mistake. They could run it. They didn't have to be strategic geniuses. They didn't have to do anything unusual. If they made a mistake, well, next year it would be okay because there was enough mo more money coming in the next year. You put the smart meal in the family and the other family businesses in the family bank and the, and the family um, um, retail store because they took a lot more a lot more ability to run those and run what. And, and this went on. And actually in many com companies, one of the smarter people didn't start coming back until 2000 because panic started occurring in the family business. Radio came along, and in many countries, uh, newspapers had the opportunity to operate and uh, get concessions to, to, to operate radio. And many of them said, no, it's not the newspaper, that's something else, we don't understand it, we're not going to go there. So they kind of didn't go into the radio industry. Television came along, and when commercial licenses were offered, many television companies actually had resources to, to get into television and said, that's eh, not our business. A lot of entertainment, we don't really understand that. We don't want to leave what we know and do so well, we'll get out of that. Cable television came along. Well, we don't do systems of infrastructure, let's not go there. So in the last few years, we suddenly had a lot of different things come up. In terms of uh, mobile operations, free newspapers, specialized newspapers. And many newspaper companies looked at that and go, well, do we go there or not? And those that were really bound with inertia said no and began stripping out the opportunities to, 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 to um, position themselves in ways to make money along the way. But this kind of path, this fantasy, and the inertia of, the, of, the, of your values keeps you in a very, very different kinds of uh, position. And part of it is just because of the nature of news organization. We really have a manufacturing orientation in, in the news business. Um, we got all these suppliers, we got paper coming in, we've got all our news services, we've got our feature services bringing us material, video services and others. We have a production organized setting, you know, certain things have to be prepared at certain times and be ready to be dropped in, and certain things can be held out a little bit longer to meet the, the deadlines, but we, we, it's, we really have all this process orientation along the way. We basically offer products that say, you can buy it the way we give it to you, or don't buy it. And in fact, 
more and more people aren't buying it. <laughs> and this is creating a big problem. And a lot of the problem is just our attitudes. A lot of our problem is just that we, we can't break out of this mold and we have to do it this way because this is the way we're organized. Um, and we have to start thinking very differently about that. Um, and it means we're going to have to do much more uh, collaborative work with our with our with our customers. Um, they have to become they have to become partners with us in, in in telling us what their changing needs are in this environment, what they want. Um, one of the most interesting things that, that I uh, that I saw in the, in the last week was a BBC story uh, on the uh, outage of Blackberry. Yeah, you know, my story, you know, three days of service and down on a mobile environment. And what they did is they got a number of people, young people, and um, brought them in and said, let's, let's talk about what it was like for you when you lost these services for three days. And the, the lack of connectedness, the lack of ability to find out what was going on, the lack of where all the things that they're so useful um, to them, <coughs> were missing in this environment. And for them, they're using things in a very different way. Then we have the issues of when there's complaints about our work or defects in our processes. There always are in journalism. Journalists don't like to hear about it, particularly not from professionals, even worse worse from the customers. Um, We've never been good at at doing feedback along the way. We've never been good at allowing people to have their own versions of personalization because we decide what the information they need. We decide how it's to be packaged. We decide the order in which it is given to them. These are all strong things that are in the the values of, of, of news production along the way. Um, and we're not very good at, at, at integrating ideas and materials from, from consumers and never have been. The best we ever were able to do was letter to the editors. Um, and then we then we edit them very carefully. Um, never very good at so if you actually look at news provision today, basically it's an all-you-can-eat buffet. Uh, we try to get a large group of consumers to still eat it. Uh, they come in, we give it to them cheap. Uh, that means we get something for everybody. We'll give them 250 stories a day um, and pack it into it and there for them along the way. Uh, we're doing so many things. We're giving them a lot of quantity, um, but we're not giving them a lot of quality. And actually, if you take any newspaper and you really think, critically look at it to pick up your more paper tomorrow, you'll find three or four really important, well-done stories, and the rest is just, okay, average quality uh, of some interesting things, some not-so-interesting things, you know, but um, there's, there's a lot of quantity, but not a lot of quality. So we're providing food, but not service in, in any way along in this kind of thing. This has really been the, 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 uh, the way that we have serviced the, the news and information um, um, needs of the public all along because we didn't really need them because they had no choice. They had to take what we gave them and they didn't pay us much money for it in the end. So we'll give them the food and we'll give them the information, but we're not going to make it a very nice experience for them. Now, the question is, can we adopt something like the fine dining model, which is, hey, we're not going to serve as many people. Uh, we're not serving as many people today. Um, the average today, in terms of people being served, is about half what it was um, uh, 25 and 30 years ago. <coughs> so 
but we haven't changed the formula for the newspapers. And so are we going to have to start serving a smaller group of people? Um, but if we do that, we're going to have to offer them a high-quality menu because, and give them good service. They're going to have to be happy for it. They're going to have to think it's a great experience along the way because we have to start charging them more because the advertising advertisers aren't there to do it. And if you're going to charge the audience more, they better be happy with what they're getting. And they better be getting something distinct and different from what they're getting from all the other places and something um, that can make it work their time. Making all this work means we have to take a lot of risks. There's a potential for a lot of failure along the way, um, potential for some losses. Um, newspapers and news organizations of all kinds aren't really used to taking risks because they haven't had to for a long time. If you don't take the risk, so you lose opportunities, you can't grow, you got to live on your declining incomes. Um, that's not a very nice uh, way to be thinking about it. So we have to be thinking about this in the news business. And are we, as we develop our models, as we try to see where we can, we can go in the future, uh, we have to start thinking in very, very different ways about what we're offering people and finding the new ways to make it work. And it won't be an easy process. There'll be some failures along the way. There have been a number of failures already, even in major organizations trying. Um, but that's the nature of, of a commercial activity. Um, and so we have to find uh, ways to just keep ourselves convinced that it's a worthy process and find new ways to make all of this work. Thanks. Thank you.